We're looking this morning at the covenant seed. It's referenced here in Genesis chapter 3. You'll notice from your bulletin outline, the first thing we want to discuss is the death of Adam and Eve. Our first parents were warned by God. Here's the warning. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Genesis 2, verse 17. Now you read that verse, and there is absolutely no restriction of freedom here. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, as wide, as wide as that can be. We're not told the varieties of fruit available, but we are told the Lord God planted a garden in the east in Eden, and the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. Genesis chapter 2, verse 8 and following. No wonder that Eden is symbolic then for what John calls the paradise of God in Revelation 2, verse 7. Nothing among God's creative acts is mediocre or inferior. When we think of this garden, we should think of lush and plush because that's what it was. All kinds of edible fruit and a plenty of water. By the way, if you don't know it, fruit trees need lots of water. Plenty of water to nourish the trees. But Satan used the one restriction, one restriction, God's prohibition to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which was in the center of the garden. He used that to tempt our first parents into thinking that something wonderful lies behind door number one. Mm -hmm. And the mean old creator was depriving them of experiencing it. So said Satan, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, Knowing good and evil. Genesis 3, verse 4 and 5. Did I read that right? Like God. How inviting. How, how promising. Who wouldn't like to be God? I mean, think about it. Giving orders, not taking orders. Being one's own boss. Having unlimited power to do as you want, to go where you want, to say what you want, to enact what you want. Whatever your heart desires, and without rules, uh, uh, and without, without the prohibition of even so much as refraining from eating the fruit of one tree. Be like God. Wow. This is quite promising here. 
hidden to Adam and Eve in all of this was Satan's own personal agenda and the fact that he had been there, had tried this with God long before he possessed Mr. Snake in Eden. Isaiah records it for us, the dialogue between God and Satan in eternity past when Satan revolted. And here's what he says. God says, You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars, the angels of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. Isaiah 14, verses 13 through 15. Isaiah gives a glimpse of eternity past. And he tells us what Satan tried to do. And so Satan, here in the garden, tempted Adam and Eve, can I say it this way, with his own dream. He tempted them with his own dream. The fact that he was expelled by God from heaven and made an example of all who would oppose God Almighty, he did not disclose to our first parents. The fact that he, was unable to become like the Most High in any way, was omitted. But now he dangles this carrot before Eve. You will be like God. Well, Adam and Eve was convinced. They were convinced of the lie, but they should never have been convinced. God had set them in Eden. He had provided their heart's desire in beauty and in necessity. Their pride, as with Satan, got the best of them. They just, they just had to take a peek behind door number one to see what they were missing. What they got was exactly what God warned. When you eat of it, that is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. This happened, boom, instantaneously. Evident by their shame and by their fear. They discovered that they were naked. There's their shame. In people who still have active consciences, you see, that it's a shameful thing. But if your conscience is seared, people run around naked all the time, take pictures of themselves all the time, and no shame. But they had a conscience. And they tried to make appropriate clothing for themselves out of fig leaves sewn together. And then secondly, they became afraid. They retreated into the forest. When God came a-calling, they went a-hiding. Their own words, Adam's words. I said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. Because I was naked and so I hid. Genesis 3 verse 10. Why would people be afraid of their creator? The writer of Hebrews explains, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Okay, that's Hebrews 10 verse 31. But, What is the source of the fear? 
the writer of Hebrews answers. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Hebrews 10, verse 26 through 29. Sin. Ah, that, that's what makes us afraid of our Creator. Because the sin is against Him. Jesus instructed His disciples saying, There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you've said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. What you have whispered in the ears of the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after they can do no more. But I'll tell you, whom you should fear. Fear him who after the killing of the body has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Luke 12, verse 2 through 5. In short, Adam and Eve were not shivering in the cold because they were naked. They were shivering in the cold in Eden's tropical oasis because the voice of God searching their whereabouts struck fear in their hearts because of the guilt of their sin. Their shame, their fear are proofs that they really died that day. That is, they died to a happy and holy relationship with God. And as Paul says of all sinners, the sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Romans 8, verse 7. That's why they feel shame. That's why they are afraid. Sin does that. It causes a breach between the sinner and God. And that's... We looked at that in the adult class this morning as we dealt with the whole concept of reconciliation and why that must be part of the gospel message. How can a sinner who's got his dukes up and fighting against God the Creator, how can that sinner be reconciled, brought back, shake hands, and be at peace with God Almighty? Well, he can in and of himself. Only God can reconcile. Now, as we look down in the text, as soon as this happened, the blame game started. Excuses, excuses, excuses. But all of them to say, don't blame me. I'm not at fault. Adam laid the blame for his sin at the feet of God himself. We read, the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Genesis 3, verse 12. Notice here, suddenly Eve is dispensable. To save his own neck, Adam threw her under the bus. Eve did it. Eve is to blame. Oh, that is cowardly. That is shameful in itself. But even worse, Adam incriminates God. The woman you put here with me. You're to blame God. 
You gave me a defective woman. You placed a temptress in my garden, and she beguiled me. You did it. James tells us, reminds us, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. James 1, verse 13 and 14. What is going on here is that Satan's nature was shining through Adam already. For it was Satan's philosophy and Adam's sin. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life, said to God about Job in Job 2 verse 6. But you see the philosophy? Ah, skin for skin. You know? God, if push comes to shove, a man will do anything, save his own life. He'll give all he has. He'll even be willing to sacrifice Eve to save his own neck. Well, Eve did little better. She played the blame game too, saying, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. This was true enough in itself, but it did not exonerate her, for she, no less than Adam, knew God's prohibition. It was Eve, not Adam, that had the conversation with the serpent and began to imbibe his rhetoric while ignoring God's warning. So shame and fear and falsehood are all the bitter fruit of sin. Guilt is felt and death is dreaded and deception is practiced. And close dealings with God are now extremely Uncomfortable. A guilty conscience causes bizarre actions. Proverbs 28 verse 1 says, The wicked man flees when no one is pursuing. Well, he does more. He attempts to cover up his sin. That's what the fig leaves are all about. And that failing, he attempts to hide from discovery and scrutiny in the woods. And because we do not see God, we conclude that he cannot see us. You see, sin blinds, sin deceives, sin makes us arrogant and defiant. It convinces us that our wickedness goes undetected by God, or at least is of little consequence to God, who's willing to live and let live, you know. Let me read it for you from Psalm 94 about the wicked. The psalmist says, They crush your people, O Lord. They oppress your inheritance. They slay the widow and the alien. They murder the fatherless. And they say, The Lord does not see. The God of Jacob pays no heed. See what goes on? God goes on to say, Take heed, you senseless ones, among the people, you fools. 
When you will, you become wise. Does he who implanted the ear not hear? Does he who formed the eye not see? Does he who disciplined nations not punish? Does he who teaches man lack knowledge? What do you mean the Lord doesn't see? What do you mean the Lord doesn't know? The psalmist says the Lord knows the thoughts of man. He knows that they are futile. Psalm 94, verse 4 and following. Don't, don't, don't be so foolish as to say the Lord doesn't see, the Lord doesn't hear, the Lord doesn't know. This game of hide and go seek which Adam and Eve played with God was as foolish as anything we do when we begin to blame others for our own failures and then attempt to hide incognito from the creator behind fig leaf cover-ups that wither and expose our nakedness under the hot breath of God's interrogation. Who told you that you were naked? Ask God. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Genesis 3, verse 11. You see, they were exposed. They... they their leaf aprons wilted. The forest trees provided no hiding place nor strength. Ezekiel alludes to this when describing mighty Assyria as a tree. Listen to the way he describes it. So it towered higher than all the trees of the field. Its boughs increased. Its branches grew long, spreading because of abundant water. All the birds of the air nested in its boughs. All the beasts of the field gave birth under its branches. All the great nations lived in its shade. It was majestic in beauty with its spreading boughs for its roots went down to abundant waters. The cedars in the garden of God could not rival it. Wow. Nor could the pine trees equal its boughs. Nor could the Pine trees compare with its branches. No tree in the garden of God could match its beauty. I made it beautiful with abundant branches. The envy of all the trees of Eden in the garden of God. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Because it towered on high, lifting its top above the thick foliage. And because it was proud of its height. I handed it over to the rulers of the nation, to the ruler of the nations, for him to deal with according to its wickedness. I cast it aside, and the most ruthless of foreign nations cut it down and left it. Its boughs fell on the mountains and all the valleys. Its branches lay broken in all the ravines of the land. All the nations of the earth came out from under its shade. And they left it. Ezekiel 31, verses 5 through 12. It doesn't matter how tall, powerful, beautiful, or extensive was Assyria in this day. God cut it down. No protection. What is he saying? Brethren, there is no refuge in human ingenuity when boasting of becoming like God. And even the high cedars can be cut down to disclose your secret hiding place. God will find you out. There is no escape.
no escape. Okay, so this is a pretty terrible position for Adam and Eve to be in. They've sinned against God. They've taken of the tree they shouldn't have eaten of. They sense their shame. They're afraid of God. They go hide in the forest. God finds them in the forest. They are in deep trouble with God. So we notice, secondly, that God's recovery for sinners is, of all things, the seed of the woman. God has a solution for Adam and Eve's transgression, and it was not retributive, but remedial. Wow. And it addressed every outcome Adam and Eve experienced in their sin. Every outcome was addressed. Let's look at these. Firstly, the consequence of blame. Eve's defense was, God, there was a snake in the grass. You know that God took her complaint seriously? Look at the text. So the Lord God said to the serpent, and you have it here, because you have done this. She said it and you did it. I know it, she knew, knows it. Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring or seed, is a better translation, and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Genesis 3, verse 14 and 15. Now, whatever the original serpent of Eden might have been, these verses indicate that its belly-crawling, dust-eating nature, so characteristic of such reptiles in our day, was the result of God's curse on it for its part in the deception of Eve. Furthermore, we know that whatever may apply to the actual reptilian creatures themselves, God had another snake in mind... Namely, that one described by John in the Revelation, chapter 12, verse 9. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. Not just Eve, you see, but the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Revelation 12, verse 9. Well, okay, he's kicked out of heaven. Where did he land? Well, among other places, he landed in Eden, the Garden of God, as Ezekiel relates. Let me read it for you. God is addressing him. And he says, you were in Eden, the Garden of God. Every, every precious stone adored, adorned you. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in all your ways from the day you were created. Tell wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were 
filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mountain of God. And I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty. And you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. Ezekiel 28, 13 through 17. Yeah? And he ended up in Eden. Among other places. Brethren, the concept of eating dust, as we have here about the snake, the concept of eating dust is symbolic in Scripture of humiliation. It's symbolic of defeat. The psalmist describes the rule of Christ in this way. He will rule from sea to sea, from the river, and the word river is capitalized in our translation because it is referring to the river Euphrates, one of the tributaries of Eden, chapter 2, verse 14. You can read it on your own. He will rule from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. The desert tribes will bow before him and his enemies will lick the dust. Psalm 72, verse 89. The sign of defeat, sign of humiliation. Micah 7, verse 7. Nations will see and be ashamed, deprived of all of their power. They will lay their hands on their mouths and their ears will become deaf. They will lick the dust like a snake, like creatures that crawl on the ground. They will come trembling out of their dens. They will turn in fear to the Lord our God and will be afraid of you. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread your sins underfoot and hurl our, iniquity, our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will tread our, I said, our sins, our trespasses. You will be true to Jacob and show mercy to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our fathers in days long ago. Micah 7, verse 16 through 20. Well, before Abraham and any promises to him, we have Genesis 3 and verse 15 and God's promise to Adam and Eve that a seed is coming. A seed is going to come to crush the head of the serpent. It is also the prophet Micah who discloses, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you're small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. Micah 5, verses 2 through 4, reference to the coming seed, the coming victorious one. Satan, no doubt, patted himself on the back for bringing Eve down and Adam along with her. 
But God's crucifixion covenant had a seed. The seed of the woman who in later who, who later in labor would give birth to the shepherd whose majesty was divine. Paul words it this way. When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Galatians 4, verse 4 and 5. Or again, Paul shows that Eve's seed was rehearsed to Abraham, whose offspring would be a blessing to all the nations. He writes, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, plural, meaning many people, but and to your seed, singular, meaning one person who is Christ. Galatians 3, verse 16. So I was saying that little did Satan know that his victory that day in Eden was going to be short-lived, humanly speaking. That his doom, think of the irony of this, that his doom would come from the very woman he had so successfully deceived and brought down. Satan and his minions conspire to damn the race, but God had a covenant to save it, and to save it by the seed of the woman that Satan used for his own evil ends. Paul writes, when you were dead in your sins, and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulation that was against us and that stood opposed to us. And I might say not just the one prohibition that Adam violated, but the Ten Commandments that we all violate all the time. Paul goes on, He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. What I'm saying is here, God dealt with the blame of sin by dealing with the principal culprit, Satan. Oh, that serpent, says Eve. And God says to the serpent, Eve's right. And I'm going to deal with you. And here's how. Secondly, what about the consequence of death? I mean, God warned that death would be the result of disobedience and it surely occurred immediately by their, in their relationship with God. But they lived on, I mean, for many years physically, a kind of um, suspension of physical death, a physical death sentence. Well, you should know that suspension is not cancellation. Eve would become a mother. In fact, her name exhibited Adam's confidence in God's grace. Look at verse 20. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. That is, all human beings. But Eve experienced these drawbacks as well. 
Verse 16, the first part. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pain in childbirth. With pain you will give birth to children. Every birth mother knows about this. And not a few have opted out of motherhood to avoid this reality. Secondly, the latter part of verse 16, your desire will be to your husband and he will rule over you. Women in the feminist movement balk at this concept and do everything in their power to prove it isn't so. Well, just on Fox News this morning, they had this whole expose on the fact that only something like 2% of women are CEOs in the corporations of America. 2%. That means that 98% of corporate leadership is in the male category. Well, when you balk against this, they kick against the discipline of God as surely as Eve kicked against God's prohibition. Well, what about Adam, the women say? Well, he's next. Adam, no less than Eve, was cursed for his sin. And in that, the soil from which he obtained his food and livelihood now yielded its crops only after much toil and sweat. No more sashaying through the orchard, picking fruit from trees you did not plant. And trees full of worms now, by the way. Fruit, fruit that is, had scabs on it now. And then number four, both Adam and Eve had a destiny of corruption awaiting them from which there was no escape. Until you return to the ground, says God, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust <coughs> you will return. Verse 19. Death, 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 death. Okay. But God did something about that. They did die. They died spiritually right away, and they died physically eventually. But God stepped right in, began with mitigating grace, despite these very real punishments for sin. I want you to observe God's mercy and kindness to Adam and Eve. With regard to childbearing, the new covenant promises this. Women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. 1 Timothy 2, verse 15. It might be painful, but it's not the death sentence normally. Secondly, with regard to wives being submissive to their husbands in everything, Ephesians 5, verse 24, they are also afforded the full right of affection and care and respect as a fellow heir of salvation in Christ. To be honored that way. And the husband is to sacrifice for his wife as Christ so loved the church and so sacrificed for the church. Sacrificial love. What's that? Jesus says, greater love has no one than this than one laid down his life. For his friends. You are my friends, he says. Yeah, well, my best friend is my wife. And we should love with that kind of affection. With regard to husbands working hard to provide for their families, even under great stress at times, 
Jesus promised that if we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, all those provisions for our families that we men agonize over, those will be given to us. Matthew 6, verse 33 and following. You worried about the future? Worried about putting food on the table? Worried about the economy? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and God will give these things to you. Oh yeah, and then what about number four? The dissolution and decay that comes with dead, death, going back to the dust. Here's what God promised. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Psalm 116, verse 15. And primarily because we enter into his promised salvation, his promised rest. In other words, God deals with the consequences of death and thereby removes the fear of death. Am I going to die? Yeah. Are you going to die? Yes. Am I going to go back to dust? Yes. But I'll be with absent from the body and present with the Lord. God is dealing with that in the seed that's to come. Okay, what about the consequence of shame? Adam and Eve were indicted by their conscience concerning their sin. Their eyes were opened, but only to witness the shame of their own nakedness and failure. Where was the hope in that? I mean, was there any hope? Look at verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Now one does not obtain animal skins without forfeiture of the animal's life. There must be, there was, sacrifice. God was again pointing to the covenant of crucifixion outlined in embryo form in verse 15. The woman's seed, that is her son, whom Satan would strike at the cross. Hebrews 9 verse 22 words it this way. The law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Hebrews 9 22. What's that mean? Well, it means that the bloodless fig leaves will have to go. That's what it means. Human attempts at cover up are inadequate. God does not accept plant life to make atonement. Thus in the next chapter, Abel's sacrifice of a lamb was accepted as an atonement for his sin, but Cain, his brother's produce from his vegetable garden, was not accepted. Chapter 4, verse 4. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And with that said, with that said, it is also to be remembered that even the animal sacrifices proved ineffectual. You heard right. Ineffectual. And only a prototype of the seed of the woman who would become the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let me read it for you. Hebrews 10 verse 4. It is impossible 
for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Well, if that is so, why did God command animal sacrifices? Answer, verse 1, same chapter, Hebrews 10. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, what did he say? Sacrifices and offerings you did not desire, that is those animal sacrifices and offerings, but a body you prepared for me. The writer goes on to say, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and he performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Referring to all those animals. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice, that is himself, for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he awaits for his enemies to be made his footstool because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Hebrews 10, verse 11, 14. Hallelujah. Wow. consequence of sin, blame, death, destruction, guilt, shame, they're all mitigated, they're all corrected, they're all reversed by the blood of Jesus. And may I say it this way, Adam and Eve were not even expelled from Eden yet before God informed them that a Savior was on the way to redeem them and all who would repent to redeem them from the consequences of their sin. We're still in Genesis. We're still in the garden here. God had fixed it. It was so. Satan will not have the last word. His doom is sure. God's victory is secure. We learned in the adult class this morning that God does this for sinners. It's not a cooperative effort. You doing your part, God doing his. It's God doing it all. It's called grace. Grace. And that's what you're seeing here in Genesis 3. God stepping in with regard to the first sinners among human beings and saying, I've got a fix. I've already got it in hand. A seed is coming. And an atonement is going to be made to take care of this great sin. You need Christ the Savior this morning. If you're listening today without Christ, you can sew your fig leaves together all you want. You can pretty yourself up. You can look in the mirror and say... <clears throat> I think I look pretty good there. Yeah, I think I, Yeah, well, I, after all, I've not murdered anybody. I, I haven't committed adultery with anybody. I, 
I've worked for my company for 40 years and I've never stolen so much as a pencil from the desk. James tells us, look into the mirror of God's word. Look in this mirror and you'll see a different image. And when you look in this mirror and you look at the perfection of Christ and you look at the God who says, be ye holy even as I am holy. Be perfect like your heavenly Father is perfect. And you look in the mirror of God's word and James says, you'll see something there that might shock you. You will see not perfection, but you'll see pride and arrogance, which in itself is damning sin. And then James says this, and when you walk away from the mirror that you just looked at, don't forget the image you saw. Why not? Because God, through his word, is giving you a picture of the real you and your real need of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's his perfection that Christians hold to for their salvation. It's not our believing that we hold to. It is not our repenting that we hold to. It's to God's grace who reached down from above and snatched us out of the garden of death and planted us in his kingdom out of darkness into light. May he do the same for you today. May you seek him. May he find you. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word. How precious. Here we see the covenant seed. As early as the first sin in humanity, we see you stepping in right away. The ink isn't dry on the condemnation, on the warrant for our arrest. The ink isn't dry. And you step in and say, there is a blood-bought pardon that I have secured. It's coming in time-space history. When the time is right, I'm going to send forth my son and she'll be born of a woman. And she'll be, he'll be a flesh and blood person. He'll take on a human body so that sacrifice can be made that will dwarf all those animal sacrifices and will actually, once and for all, make atonement for man's sin, for all who will believe. Lord, thank you. It is grace. We pray that you will work and search hearts today. Grant life where there's deadness. Grant faith where there's none. Grant repentance to turn away from sin when we love our sins so much. Help us to look into the mirror of your word and not to forget what we saw. And also not to forget the remedy that you hold out to us in Christ. May his name be praised and glorified. Save whom you will today, O oh Jesus. Thank you. Amen. Number 82.